We're live here on Stories from Mountain Town. Welcome, Andrew Ellett. Thank you very much. For our next much. episode. Thank you for uh, introducing me to uh, Mountain Town Nation here uh, on the podcast. <laughs> I love the new, the new studio. Yeah, new studio. First episode in the new studio here. Not just new studio, but also new house. Thanks in a large part to Andrew Ellett. Um, we did it. We we got it done, and I've I've told you this in other other times too. But um, living in Jackson was a childhood dream of mine, and I was doing that. But then to do that long term and to own a piece of the Jackson Hole Valley is something that I don't even think young Tyler could dream of. So yeah, to have you help achieve that far off dream was incredible. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, no, it was a pleasure working with you and Taylor and. I remember when we first started talking about it and when the idea was in its infancy and I kind of felt like at the time it was like on the one to three year plan. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think we just found the right property at the right time for the right price um, and we're able to get it done a lot sooner. So that's great. I, I'll never forget. I was uh, lived here 18 years before we bought our first house and um, our, our only house and um we were renters of that house for four years before we purchased it. And, uh, of course, like most people in Jackson, you're a renter for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years before you can get a foothold. Um, and so the next morning when, when we woke up, I, I looked at my wife and I said, you see that sink? That's my sink now. I said, you see that toilet? That's my toilet. And she said, actually, like the bank owns 80% of that. <laughs> Golly, way to take the wind out of my sails. Come on, Crystal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, incredible. And we should say, I didn't say either. You are a um, owner and you are the owner and responsible broker for Jack uh, England Volker's Jackson Hole um, and uh, and the real estate agent that one of two that helped us in our purchasing of our house. You and Jim Hickey, who was a previous guest. So the listeners will know him as well. Um, So that's kind of why you're on. Talk about real estate, talk about Jackson, talk about your time here in Jackson. That's what it's going to be about. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Uh, and and I should also tell the story of um, the moment when you told us that our offer was accepted. You and I have talked about this, but um, it was on the 4th of July. And so we were down on a spot by the Snake River, drinking beers, celebrating freedom in America. And... We knew it could happen like any day, like there's some, the, the sellers live in another country. So there was some time zone stuff where it's like, we don't really know when they're going to answer or whatever. And then I just get, a, my phone starts ringing and I get a call and it's Andrew and I'm like, Taylor, this could be it. And then, so I pull her aside and you say like, we did it. They accepted the offer, like, you know, congrats. And then I just like yelled like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and then Taylor and I started celebrating everybody that we were with noticed that we were celebrating and they started celebrating. Like we brought champagne down there in case like that happened. So it was just an incredible moment. And, uh, one of our friends caught the exact moment on, uh, in a picture of, of like the moment that I'm hearing the words, well, but you're telling the story, but you're not telling the whole story. Are you going <laughs> to tell the whole story? I mean, can I... <clears throat> uh, yeah, I don't think the sellers will hear it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think the beauty of the moment was you just went on a contract on your first home, but mm-hmm. also, you know, the owner is from Britain mm-hmm. and, you mm-hmm. know, you had a sneaking suspicion. Well, not a suspicion, but a hope that if you did take back a house from a British person, like how 
apropos would it be to do it yeah. on the 4th of July? Right? Exactly. So. How symbolic. We're taking back American <laughs> land on the 4th of July from the Brits, a tradition that I will always celebrate because everyone knows on here how much I love America. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was amazing. And now we're in the joys of home ownership. I've gone to Idaho Falls. Let's see. We moved in in August 20th. I've probably been there 15 times in those few months to get supplies and stuff from Home Depot and whatever. Yeah. So I know that drive well. Every time I drive by, I look at Jim's listing up on Shady Lane. Yeah. Because I go that way. I uh, We just finished a remodel a year and a half ago. I still have PTSD from it. And uh, <laughs> we did that drive to Idaho Falls almost every weekend. And But... You know, what you're doing is tough, but if you want to up the ante, do it with two kids under eight, you know. <laughs> um, and so uh, I just remember many times walking through Lowe's where I just caught myself like just drooling. You know, I was just completely brain dead after spending three or four hours there trying to pick out tile or, you know, grout or something like yeah. that. So anyway, you're in the middle of it, but it's looking great. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're getting through it. We got done a bunch of stuff, got a lot of stuff to do. Um, I My mantra through this whole thing has been into Taylor too, into my you know family and anybody who's here helping with the work. If if it were easy buying your first home in Jackson Hole, everyone would do it. You know, we knew we knew that it's we're trying to do one of the hardest things in America in, you know, start and raise a family in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, yeah. which, you know, uh, you know, very well, too. Like, it's just difficult, you know. The sacrifice, you know, the sacrifice to to find a, a, a way to make a living enough so that you can live comfortably. And um, one of my goals before Taylor and I had have kids is to own own the place that I have my first kid in because I didn't want to bring a child into the world where, you know, the Jackson shuffle is a real thing. Yeah. I didn't want to think like, oh, we're moving, you know, three houses in three years and the kid is three years old. You know, yeah. I wanted them to have at least. At least if at least if we're changing houses, it's to upgrade to something to give them a better bedroom, you know, or they're getting a brother or a sister or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the classic thing. Like, has it gotten harder in the last 10 years? Absolutely. Has it gotten more expensive? It has. But um, part of that is demand and market forces. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I moved here in 2001, the summer after college. And it was a struggle even then, you know, tw 20 plus years ago. I remember I, I slept uh, on a mattress um, I shared a studio apartment with my college roommate and we slept on mattress air mattresses that we bought at Kmart, which were very cheap quality air mattresses. And then we would go back to Kmart about every six to eight weeks and say the mattress was faulty. Uh, can we have another one? You know? And so we played that out for about six months until customer service said, I think I've seen you in here before, you know? <laughs> so I, I think everybody kind of has to live that dirtbag life for a while, mm -hmm. um, either by choice or, or because you have to. Um, and it, it's, it's like I said, we, we lived here, uh, I lived here 18 years before I was able to, to purchase my first home. But, um, uh, it's one of the things though. I mean, I, I just think it, Never mind the cost of rental or housing, but I just think it takes a hardy individual to live here. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not living, you're not ever living in Jackson full time because it's easy. You have mm -hmm. six months of winter, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's just a, uh, it takes a hardy person and a persevering personality, I think, to be able to stay in Jackson. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I've had plenty of friends come and go and and it always comes down to like you know Jackson is what it is um there's an incredible energy in this town there's the nature there's all the stuff that we love about it the outdoor activities and if all of that um if that doesn't like really scratch your itch if you don't absolutely love living here for the things that it is you're not going to last here very long if yep. it's just you know there's a lot of there's a lot of great mountain towns so if you're just here because it's another mountain town you're probably not going to be here long you have to like jackson for jackson and want to do what it takes to stay here to to just be around everything that jackson is but yeah yeah no i don't disagree i mean um it's a very transient place people come and go they're here for a few years and they're gone and that that that's tough um for friendships sometimes mm-hmm. because uh y- you know you, you make deep friendships with people have relationships and then as you grow older you get married and you have kids and your kids have relationships with mm-hmm. other families and then you know, after three or four years, it's sort of like, well, we gave it a try. We're going to move back to Omaha or whatever, (laughs) you know? And so, um, you know, I've experienced that off and on for 20 years and and that's, that's really tough, but it's just, uh, it's a part of the deal. I think living here. Yeah. You're right. Those friendships that you make are, are super deep because most people don't have family here or around here. I was really lucky that, or I am really lucky that my (laughs) my family comes out a lot and my brother just moved here with his fiance and they live in Raptor J it's great. right by you. Yeah. <laughs> I could throw a football from his house to your house, but, um, most people don't have family that comes out here all the time like mine do. And so the, the friendships you make are really just your family out here. It's a family you pick, mm-hmm. right? Like I do, you know, holidays, Thanksgiving with the, fr- the friends I have out here, you know, when was your first, uh, visit to Jackson? Um, what year? Maybe like 2000, like 2005, maybe, I think. Yeah, 2005-ish. Um, my dad, have I told you a story about how my family like even got to know what Jackson Hole is? Mm-mm. So my parents are divorced and uh, both remarried now. And my dad and my stepmom um, and... and uh, both uh neither of them had the kids for the weekend my step siblings were with their dad and we were with our mom so they're like oh let's do let's go do a trip somewhere it's like mm-hmm. labor day let's go do a trip and they got my dad goes and buys like a paper atlas map you know an atlas of america and they close their eyes and just put their finger down on somewhere in america and they're like okay we're gonna go there and it was jackson hole <laughs> and my dad had never heard of it he didn't grow up skiing my stepmom grew up skiing. She she grew up in, in uh, Northern California, mm-hmm. so she was like, "Oh, it's a ski destination or whatever." I, I don't. I've never been there, but I I think they do skiing there. Yeah, and they're was like, it the "Oh, summer or the winter?" In the summer, yeah. Okay. I think I think it's probably Labor Day or something mm-hmm. like that. But then they're like, "Oh, and look how close it is to Grand Teton National Park and Yellowstone National Park." And my dad has his motorcycle license, so he can rent a motorcycle, and he likes to do that when he travels. So like, oh, we'll go down, we'll hang out, we'll. Um, you know, ride a motorcycle around Yellowstone and see animals. It'd be great. Mm-hmm. And they stay at the Teton Club. Um, and I don't really know how they even got started the conversation, but in one night at the Teton Club uh, bar, they Fred Harness shouts Fred Harness. You know him? Very yeah, well? yeah. He's he's been on the podcast, friend of the family since then. He somehow convinced both of them to go paragliding that <laughs> next day and to buy some weeks at the Teton Club. 
<laughs> so Fred might be the greatest salesman of all time because <laughs> my dad doesn't like roller coasters or anything like that and went paragliding and also did not ski and bought weeks at the Teton Club. How random. Yeah. So he, I don't know how many he bought at the time, but he bought, you know, like a summer and a winter or something. Uh -huh. So then we started coming out for like Christmases and 4th of July's and stuff and staying at the Teton Club. And um, it was just like a, growing up in Minnesota, like we'd ski hills and I always snowboarded there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, you know, whole different ball it's, of wax. It's a, this is a different world yeah. to 10 or 12 year old Tyler, you know, like, I mean, obviously the scale of the mountain, the mountain's so much bigger. The people are just like, you don't run into ski bums in Minnesota, right? The people yeah. are just so different. Like, I don't know what it was that hooked me. It was like an energy. A lot of people talk about like the energy here because and it's probably something mystical, you know, with like the Yellowstone and the mountains and all that stuff and whatever. But there's definitely something going on where I was immediately hooked. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. And I didn't do I didn't do very good in school, but every year my dad would say like, "Okay, if you you got to make these grades or you don't get to go to Jackson." And it was the only thing that ever motivated me. It was like that and like sports, both the only things that ever motivate me to like do well in school. Wow, yeah. So it was like every day I would be in these classes and I'd be like watching videos of that the resort would post back in the day on YouTube, early YouTube. And just like, oh my gosh, it's incredible. The powder there, you know, the resort, the culture, everything. It's the only thing that ever got me motivated. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, Taylor and I got together and we were living, we were living together and we were, you know, I wanted, I knew I wanted to live out here at some point. Yeah. I somehow convinced her to want to live out here <laughs> and, um, got her, I helped, <laughs> I applied her. She loves the story and everyone at the hospital <laughs> loves the story. I applied her for the job that she got to get us here. <laughs> Cause I, her resume was on my computer and I kept, I would look every single day at the postings. Be like, I knew she wanted, you know, 12 hours, night shift, RN, labor and delivery. Got that. And then I kept, I would refresh every single day and look at it. Nothing, nothing. And then I sits yeah. on the bottom. Do you don't see anything? Um, submit your resume. And if you know, we'll contact you or whatever, submitted her resume and she wakes up from sleeping after night shift. She's like with emails of saying like, thanks. We got your resume. Thanks for sending it. And she's like, Tyler, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> I was like, I just sent it in there. It's your resume. And then they call her and they're like, we're actually going to open up a position for you because she's super qualified. Yeah. She worked at a big hospital doing like 300 births a, a month. And then here we, they do about like 35 or something. Yeah. So they're like, oh, sweet. This person wants to come here. Let's, let's get her going. And then, then she went to the hiring process and got the job and, and uh, moved out here. That's amazing. Yeah. She, whenever she tells that to like people at the hospital, they're like, they just think it's incredible. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. When was your first time coming out here? Um, I, uh, so I graduated college back in the Carolinas where I'm from, mm -hmm. uh, in 2001. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Although, uh, let's not talk about last Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, uh, and then, you know, I had a, uh, roommate in college, a good friend. And he had decided that he had always wanted to live in Jackson. And uh, so he was going to move out with another college buddy that summer, asked me to come out. And uh, at the time, I, I was already traveling a lot that kind of summer after graduation and uh, was apply applying for some graduate programs back east. And um, anyway, because of all the traveling and goofing off that summer, I, I 
really didn't uh, get into the application process in time. And so I kind of realized, oh my gosh, like I have kind of like a year to kill now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, for my birthday, 2001, uh, my parents bought me a ticket out here to go hiking with my buddy Josh for a week. We went to Yellowstone and camped out every night and just had a blast. And uh, after that, I just realized, man, this, this place is incredible. I've never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing even close. And uh, he said, well, I, I need a roommate. You know, I need somebody to, uh, I've got an extra space for an air mattress <laughs> uh, and somebody that needs to share rent. And um, so on a Saturday, he got me a job uh, interview at the bank where he was working. And uh, of course, I, I hadn't come out there for a job interview. So I just had muddy hiking boots and shorts and stuff. But he, he, let me borrow some clothes and I had this sort of bozo tie on and uh, muddy hiking boots and I came in on a Saturday morning for a job interview and uh, I didn't really know what to expect um, but he said uh, well Andrew you know what where do you see yourself in the bank and you know I hadn't given it 30 seconds thought but out of college you kind of have this chip on your shoulder so I said well I, th- I think like I'd be suitable to run your marketing department um, and he said okay okay uh, how about a teller position, you know? <laughs> and so I, I just, I, I kind of took it, you know, when you're 22, you, you kind of make some of those wild, impetuous decisions, but it was the best decision that I ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside uh, of proposing to Crystal, outside of proposing to Crystal, but, you know, moving to Jackson, that decision made, helped me meet Crystal, oh, you know, yeah, like yeah, sure. a, a whole life came from that. Yeah. Um, and so I flew home, packed up my 1991 Ford Exploder with 2000 or, uh, 240,000 miles on it, loaded it to the gills and drove out to Jackson. And, uh, that was, that was kind of the beginning of it all. That's incredible. I love, I love your story, uh, of like your early days here, just because of where you are now we get, um, to to the audience, I, I run, uh, Andrew's social media, the whole broker, um, on Instagram and we occasionally will get some, some kind of hate, some, you know, not nice comments because he's in a really great position has worked really hard to get there as a real estate agent and owner of the brokerage brokerage office. Yeah. Brokerage brokerage. And so a lot of people think that, you know, he was just gifted that, or he's, you know, making Jackson worse or whatever, all those things we normally get. But you came here, like you just said, in a car that barely got here, got yeah. a job randomly out of nowhere and was sleeping on an air mattress for your first, yeah. how long were you doing that for? Um, for about a year. You yeah, know. for your first year. Uh, yeah, I remember our, our car was so old that uh, one day my brother did the trip with me and he put the passenger window down and it never came up. <laughs> and so we couldn't get it up for three days. And because I had my whole life in the car, you're not, you know, you're not going to park it up motel in downtown st louis (laughs) with the window down you know and so we're just like well the only thing that we can do is just keep going so we just like (laughs) just did (laughs) we just we just lived off of red bull you know and coffee and uh, power bars and we powered through but um yeah when i got here um i I, uh my first job was was working in customer service at a bank Um, and you know, that first year, you know, you're buying skis or a mountain bike or, you know, so you, you definitely have to buy a couple toys to justify living out here. Yeah. 
Um, and between that and uh, the few bucks an hour that I made at the bank, um, it was it was very, uh, very, very difficult. Like I said, we, we slept on the floor for the first year and then mm-hmm. eventually moved up and were able to rent a house with a couple guys. But um, I still remember those days. And um, I think, uh, you know, we talk about how people get weeded out. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I feel like I had a lot of friends. You probably had a lot of friends in those days, still do, that came out and they tried it for two to three years and they lived that life and it was fun. Mm-hmm. But then when the time comes um, to sort of quote unquote air quotes, grow up and be an adult, mm-hmm. you know, they move back home, they get a real job, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever. They've got sort of a network of family and friends that can kind of give them a leg up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in their career and in their life and they can buy a home at a reasonable price. And, you know, mm-hmm. they do all these things and life starts to progress a lot, start, starts to accelerate a lot faster mm-hmm. once they do that. But for me, I was pretty much bound and determined um, to try to make this work one mm-hmm. way or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly there's some people that came along the way to help me. And by the grace of God, you know, um, we've been able to do that. My wife was actually born and raised here. She's one of the very few locals. So I met her um, the first year after um, I was here. We we started dating. We've been married 16 years. But um, yeah, I mean, th- those those uh, first few years were extremely tough. And then even after we were married and like had an apartment, and you know, it was just uh, it, it was very difficult to get a foothold. And I kind of came to the the determination that so long as I was just sort of uh, the average employee at an average company m- making an average wage, um, that, that was going to be very difficult. And so I felt like even though there was a, a large amount of risk, in order for me to be able to do that to the degree I wanted to, I was going to have to kind of start my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's kind of um, in 2015, that's when it all began. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. We've definitely – there's – you stay here long enough and you that uh maybe i'll call it like a a buffalo size burden of like how do i do i want to be here forever long term you know get married raise kids here or do i not do i is it do i think it's too difficult or whatever and luckily i was born where uh i was born very very stubborn Mm-hmm. So I looked at that and I said, and I looked at all the naysayers, not that, the, not that those people like saying don't, but they're saying that it's too hard to do it, saying it's hard, saying it's easier, you know, people, friends of my age buying houses earlier, bigger houses, all the stuff that you go through. Yeah. And I said, no, fuck that. I'm doing it in Jackson. And again, luckily Taylor went along with it, <laughs> <laughs> but no, but you kind of just got to say like, no, I'm yeah. just going to do it in Jackson. Cause that's what, that's where I want to live my life. And that's how I want, this is how I want to live my life. Um, so I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, even after 20 years, like you, you get tempted, right? Like you can, uh, you could go back to Minnesota or I could go back to South Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, and I see like what my friends lives are like, or the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, for, for the price of this town home, you could buy, a, a, a small estate in, <laughs> yeah. in Minneapolis. Right. And yeah. you're like, wow, like that would be nice. Yeah. But then a, I, po- a whole pole barn, and snowmobiles I, in there, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I could do the same, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't, don't live in, you know, um, 
uh, a super high income area in South Carolina. That's not where I grew up. So, yeah. so it's always tempting. But then as I process that thought another mm-hmm. minute or two, then I say, all right, so I'm in Anderson, South Carolina again. Now what? Yeah. You know, like, uh, and, and I just like that always just, just a dead end for me. Like mm-hmm. if, if going back to that, like, I love my home, I love my people, but mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, I, I would miss because I did move back for a couple of years. I would miss the extremity, the extremeness of Jackson, mm. the skiing, the activities, the weather, the hardiness of the people, the, um, the, the just the interesting people that you encounter mm-hmm. in, in this town. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would just really miss the dynamic sort of life that I, we've kind of grown accustomed to here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely have done the same thing. Like, I think I was telling you, I, when I was, before we decided let's look here, I was looking like maybe I'd, you know, buy an investment property in, in Duluth, Minnesota, which is like where I went to college. It's like right on Lake Superior, mm-hmm. beautiful town, probably one of the only places in Minnesota that I could live now if I ever went back. It's about two hours away from where I grew up in the Twin Cities, but it's right on the edge. It's, re- it's some good wilderness. It's got good outdoor activities. And I start to picture like, okay, I could probably get, you know, this kind of house, this kind of property, you know, whatever for what we just bought this for. And then I start to think, well, yeah, what does my life look like? Yeah. And then I start to go like, okay, in the winter, you know, I like cross country skiing. There's a lot of that there. There's a ski resort in that town and also a bigger ski resort a couple hours north that are great resorts, but it's not Jackson, right? It's not, oh, hey, the snow's safe. So let's, Taylor, let's go take the dogs and go on a tour on the pass, yeah. you know? Or on Sunday, my brother and I went up to Togedy and did two oceans, you know? And also what I've found is that you know, because when, when we moved back for a very short time, um, right before and right after we got married, uh, Crystal and I, but even though we had mountain hikes 45 minutes, an hour away, mm-hmm. you just didn't do them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even because they weren't as good. Like, you know, I still enjoy a hike. I don't care whether it's a mountain or molehill, but mm-hmm. if it's an hour away and you you have to plan it, you have to pack up the car, you, it has to be nice weather, you you sort of plan a whole weekend around it um whereas here like if you get two cancellations two two appointments that cancel this afternoon you're like wow we got 10 inches of snow why don't i head out before dinner yeah you know and so it's just the ease of access to that i think that makes it special too yeah in in other metropolitan areas i don't know if anderson's like big but you have your house in the city or whatever and then you have your vacation house your cabin your lake house your cottage whatever regionalism you want to throw on there and that's where you go to do the things you like actually enjoy you know like being on your boat hunting Mm -hmm. fishing all the activities everyone does hiking where we're in the place that people have the second homes in right we're in the vacation area yeah so i I try to think of it like that because my uh, my minnesotan brain starts to take me to places where i'm like oh let you know taylor let's you know get a little cabin somewhere let's you know split a cabin with a friend or you know my Minnesota brain does that, but I got to pull it back to say, no, like one of our neighbors, this is their vacation home. Like they live in Salt Lake city and they come up here to vacation yeah. and ski and do this stuff. I'm like, and I live two doors down. Yeah. So it's just, it's just a, it's kind of a, a different way of thinking about your living situation. And even though I've been here for almost four years, it's still like, I have to remind myself what it is, you know? Yeah. Cause it's, we live in a, you live in after J too. So it's nice. It's a nice, it's, it's, it feels like a suburban neighborhood, 
but it's like not you know like there could be a bear walking by right now there could be for sure there's gonna be a moose walking by this winter you know yep like we can i can see the grand from right here that's not a normal no suburban neighborhood not at all yeah so yeah um i don't you kind of you kind of touched on it but um could you talk through like why you decided to get into real estate yeah um i uh don't want to go too far back but you know there, there was a phase after being in banking for a couple of years and realizing that I didn't want a job, anything like that ever again, um, <laughs> that, uh, I had always had a passion for flying. And so, um, uh, grew up with a family of pilots and, you know, um, I decided kind of in my early twenties that, uh, I wanted to do that professionally. And so that's why I moved back for a couple of years, um, uh, from Jackson and then came back. And so at that time I got all my flying ratings it was shortly after 9-11 so it was really the worst time in the history of aviation to try to get a job in that industry and while i was flying and um you know working a job to pay the bills i these two brothers um got me involved in uh in the startup and i started doing sales for them and the company grew and grew it went from two people to about 20 people and i don't know a little over a year and um so it was at that time that I really felt like I, to my surprise, honestly, that I had a, a little bit of a knack for sales and business and I actually liked it. And that was actually a shock because, you know, I remember having to go door to door as a Boy Scout or whatever to sell magazines and popcorn. And like, I just, I hated that more than anything else in the world. Like, I just would rather like take the money out of my piggy bank than like bug my neighbors, like to buy popcorn just that they didn't need just because I was a cute kid or something, you know? So I just like, I, I wasn't like a sales guy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway, I, I think along the way I learned those skills and I, I got good at it and I actually learned to enjoy it. And, um, it was kind of at that time after we got married that Crystal and I realized we really missed Jackson and we wanted to move back. And so we started thinking, like, how do we make this work? You know, how do we make this work financially um, so that we don't just go back for a couple of years, but we can stay? And mm -hmm. so um, Crystal, my wife, her dad um, uh, was a very entrepreneurial guy, um, owned a couple motels in Jackson, a reservation company, a property management company, a very small real estate company. And so we saw opportunity there where we could come out um, and get involved in real estate. I, I feel like of all the sales jobs, real estate's one of the more interesting, you know, rather, I mean, to give you an example, my first sales job was selling custom label bottled water. So, uh, you know, it can't get much more boring than that. Um, so, you know, selling, uh, real estate in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, like there's worse jobs. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I got involved mainly in the real estate side. My wife, Crystal got involved mainly in the property management side. Um, and then over the years, we, we learned those skills, we grew the companies, um, and, uh, you know, it was tough because we really, I started six months before the recession, before everything wound down. So, mm -hmm. you know, at that time it was survival of the fittest. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but I, I learned some lessons and some skills going through that time, um, that I'll, I'll never forget. And it's actually, they're, they're different, um lessons I learned then that, uh, I feel like it, it's time to reapply in a way, not that we're headed for 
Uh-oh. You know, uh, yeah, not that we're headed for like anything like that, but like just when markets transition, you have to be nimble and you have to make changes. You can't just be doing the same thing mm-hmm. you did uh, in the economy for the last two years. You have to you have to change. Um, so anyway, it was a very interesting time period. Yeah, totally. We'll get it. I want to get into like the nitty gritty of like of like what's going on in the real estate market mm-hmm. in a bit. But I want to say one thing that um, you and I might be long lost twins, I think, because uh, we have the same birthday. That's crazy. We both have a love of like reading books for the uh, books for the sake of having a paper book. Yes. We love um, history books. I'm reading what I put it. Empire of the Summer yeah. Moon right now. Um, I think I told you about this, but it's about uh, the the rise and fall. Well, the title or the the cover says the rise and fall of the Comanches, the most powerful Indian tribe in American history. And they look at they focus on this guy named Quanah Parker, who was the last um, uh, Comanche tribe, but or Comanche uh, chief. Um, but yeah, we and then also my. The, the, the moment that I realized I liked sales and business also was mine was like selling. It was actually like lead gen, but it was selling meetings for a consultation for new windows and doors and siding door to door and over mm-hmm. the phone in an internship I had um, where I, I was, you know, in school to be to get a marketing degree. And I got this intern internship with a, a friend's parents company. And I was the first ever intern they had, marketing intern. I did a little bit of social media, did that lead gen stuff. And I'd go with this, the actual sales guys and kind of learn that thing. Yeah. Oh, wait, actually. No, just kidding. I'm lying about that. Home Depot. When I worked at Home Depot, my first job ever, Home Depot, I got a kick out of selling the grills. I, would, <laughs> I worked in the garden center just to like over the summer between years of college and I would go and try to sell people on grills and sell them on the more expensive one and tell them, you know, why they should do it and why it's important to their, what they're trying to do that day. Yeah. And I, for some reason, I just got like an internal, I got, I got no commission. I just got like a kick out of like, oh, wait, I can convince them to do this thing yeah. by telling them the features and the benefits of this grill, of this product. And I just got a kick out of it. And I was like, okay, I need to do that forever. Yeah. And, uh. But yeah, those two things, like the more the more you and I talk and the more I learned about you, I'm like, Andrew and I are extremely similar. We we are. And I think uh I think one of them is just like, you know, can't see it on camera, but you've got a little bookcase over there. And yeah, you know, I you've Records. probably done the same thing with me. Like, uh you can kind of walk in to somebody's house and mm-hmm. look at their books yeah. <laughs> and in about thirty to sixty seconds figure out a little bit about what they're about. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's always fascinating to me Um, and not in a critical sense. It's just like, what makes you tick? Like, what are you interested in? Like, what what are you passionate about? Like, uh, what intrigues you? What style? You know, like, uh, are you like a fantasy guy or, you know, for I think you and I enjoy history and biographies Mm -hmm. a lot. So, um, yeah, if you look, if you look at my bookshelf, you'd think. Definitely outdoorsy. You know, I have some avalanche books, snowboarding books, a lot of books about wolves on there, uh, mountain stuff, a couple golf. And then I kind of like marketing ones, the art of war. Um, and I also like kind of the, uh, I'll call them like self-help, but it's not really self-help. It's not, it's not like, how do I talk to girls? It's like, it's like this one, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. 
Have you read that one? No, I've seen it on a lot of shelves though. Yeah, it's it's Is that not a game changer for you. Um, it wasn't game changing because I kind of already did it. It's, it's, you already don't give a fuck. No. Okay. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not. It, it's not. Don't give a fuck as in don't care about things. Yeah. You know, care about things, but understand that there's things you can't. You can't care about everything, and you shouldn't just be, um, you know, worried for the sake of being worried. Right. There's some things you just don't need to be worried about. Uh, and that's kind of the gist. It's just kind of be, you know, chill and keep you know, temperament here and whatever and go through life. And then, and then act like, and act in a way that's not um, so critical of yourself. Where yeah. it's like, you know, that uh, maybe a good example would be that the moment that you asked me to speak in front of the meeting at Anglo and Volker is like, I could have gotten really, really nervous about that. My, that was my second time speaking in front of a group about marketing. I'm not even sure if I know anything real about marketing yet. Yeah. You know? I think I met you the first time you did. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Scout. Exactly. Yeah. For the scout guide. Another example, like I could have gotten really nervous about that, but I'm like, but it, that book would tell you just to, you know, speak your, speak your truth, be honest about things. Don't, you know, just be honest about what you know and try to also on the back end try to work as hard as you can to know a lot so that when you do speak, it's, it's truthful. Um, but yeah, that's, I definitely did that at your house when you, I came over that day. I think, uh, I think that's part of growing up, uh, in a way. And, uh, I think it hits people at different points, but mm -hmm. You know, it certainly hits me just more and more obsessing over what people think or, or, uh, keep talking. I want to get the camera. Yeah. Things like that. It just, um, uh, you kind of realize as you grow up that actually fewer people are actually listening to you <laughs> and really caring about what you're saying and critiquing you than you think. Yeah. Um, and even if they are, who cares? Yeah. You know, I mean, it just, so I, I think that's, uh, uh, I think that's just part of growing up, but you know, I do sometimes worry that uh, the, at the rate that this feeling is increasing in me, you know, by the time I'm 60, do I become one <laughs> of those old crusty, you know, guys? <laughs> yeah. I can't wait until I get an excuse to be old that and crusty. ruins Thanksgiving. I'm yeah. too young. I, I'm mentally, I'm ready to do that. I, I don't think I'm like, I think people would frown upon me being that like, don't give a shit. Yeah. At that t at twenty nine, <laughs> oh man, yeah, and and certainly too, like you become more opinionated and set in your ways, but um, also you, I think once you reach that age, like you feel like you've kind of deserved the right mm -hmm. to just indiscriminately share your opinion with everyone at Thanksgiving. So. Yeah, I found at least to this point that I'm becoming less uh, stuck in my ways and ideas. Um, you know, but whether it's like political or other things, because I found, you know, I just noticed the times when a uh, preconceived notion is like maybe not the right one. Or the more you think about something, you get to a different place with it. Yeah. And, it, and it's oftentimes better and you, just, you, you know, time goes by and you get smarter and whatever. But I've, and then I noticed those patterns and I'd say, okay, let me try to be more open-minded yeah, and try to learn more things before forming my opinion and speaking in a way where, you know, everybody right in this political climate is, a, is the best example. Everybody's ready to get in a debate like right now. Right. If I said, okay, Andrew, Roe v. Wade, go <laughs> like everybody's ready to just, they have their points ready to go. Yeah. Like they have no cards on their hand already. No matter, I could walk up to somebody in the street and say that. Yeah. And they just go in and saying, no, cause you're wrong. Cause you're an asshole. Cause you're wrong. Instead yeah. of, 
you know, let's figure out this idea together. Let's think about it. Think about where we could find some common ground, where we think is actually like a better point to be in any conversation. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the whole political thing is just a, a firestorm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's the most extreme example, but maybe it's not the best example, you know, like I think more like along the lines of business, you know, like mm-hmm. one of the eye opening things for me and nobody has ever accused me of having, uh, not having an opinion. Um, but you know, one of the eye opening things for me, and I've actually taken it or encouraged friends or family to do it with me over the years is, uh, have you ever taken a personality like the Myers-Briggs personality test? And there's yeah. a lot of them out there, the Enneagram test and, but uh, the one that I felt like just completely read my mail and usually did other people that I encouraged to take it was the Brig- Myers-Briggs, Briggs-Meyer, anyway. Yeah. Um, but there's basically 16 different personalities. And, you know, once I got that and I, I learned a little bit about myself, mm-hmm. um, and I certainly learned a lot about my wife and my brother and my father and my mother-in-law and, you know, but like what you learn from that is that, you know, I think before in your head, you wouldn't say this out loud, but you think, well, you know, my personality is better than that, or I look at things better than they do, or my work ethic is better than theirs or Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And when you take a personality test, it, it, at least for me, it, it made me understand that, um, it's not really right or wrong. It's just different. Mm -hmm. Like the way that my wife processes things is like, the way an artist would, mm-hmm. a musician would. And the way I process things um, is like a military general would, you know? <laughs> so it's just like how we process and how we think through things and how we see the world, how we interact with others um, is neither right nor wrong. Um, it's just different. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can understand that about people, then you can actually see uh, the value in it because let's face it, like, any good team, any good business, any, any, anything needs different personalities, Mm -hmm. um, and different interests and different giftedness. And if everybody was like me or like you, it'd be a failure. We wouldn't get very far. Yeah. I'm getting us off track, but, uh, no, this whole thing is, is track. Yeah. It's a podcast. That's how we do. Exactly. We go on tangents. Um, yeah, totally. Um, I have, uh, you definitely learn a lot about yourself when you look at the, some of those personality things. And, uh, it was really helpful to me to, um, it's not in the, this is not in the line of that personality quiz, but once I got to the point where I found sales and I found business and the way I thought was, is rewarded in business and sales. Cause it's like a good way to do it allegedly. Cause apparently I'm doing, doing okay. But, um, it was so fulfilling to me because my whole like school life I'd been told like, don't do it that way. Or like, don't think yep. that way. Or, you know, I definitely have ADHD and they don't teach you how to harness that, but the ADHD brain brain is extremely powerful. Yeah. So when I learned more about myself and how I function, how my brain functions, I'm able to maximize on that. Those are the, 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 the abilities that I have and, and do really well. Um, but I don't think enough people look at themselves to um, try to understand mm-hmm. how do they tick and how do they think and how do they process things. Well, that's another similarity 
that you and I have that we should probably talk about more. But, you know, I mean, I was never diagnosed with ADD or any yeah. of that, but I, I bet I would have been a poster child for it, Yeah, you know, um, growing up. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't a great student. Um, I was always bored. I was mm -hmm. always off in the clouds with my imagination and doing things. Um, so it was very difficult for me to focus on any one thing mm -hmm. for a long time. But then once I found, and this didn't come until the last two years of college, but once I found something that I really was interested in, yeah, I was all in mm -hmm. and I was hyper-focused. And, you know, uh, today, you know, 20 years later, I bet you're this way too. Like anything that you're, you really love and that you're passionate about and you're interested in, mm -hmm. you're better than most people at yeah. because you love it and you're passionate about it. But like if you put a trig trigonometry book back in front of me I think I'd probably uh, you know I'd probably go back to the ADD days so yeah totally yeah the hyperfixation is a, a right. part of the ADHD brain and people have these different parts of ADD and ADHD in different levels you know like I'm I'm more uh I have more hyperfixation than say uh let's say my stepdad has talked about his ADD and um and he talks about how he doesn't have that as much, but he has other parts of it. But yeah, the once it was for me, it was um, my first marketing class in college mm -hmm. when I marketing. And then that was around the same time as that Home Depot job where I was like, okay, this is everything I need in life and get hyper fixated on that. You just want, there's something where the brain is just craving more content, more data. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, I'll read, you know, reading books, finding stuff on the internet, putting myself in every position to just like my brain to consume whatever that th the thing is, the kick that you got. And, and there's like people, people on TikTok that say like, follow the dopamine. <laughs> and it's a kind of a double-edged sword because you can follow it to bad habits too, right? Like yeah. drinking or gaming too much or whatever. So you gotta, you have to temper. I found the ADHD brain is best tempered with um, discipline um, to guide it, to, uh, guide those, that, that powerful hyperfixation on the right path on, on things that'll actually benefit you in life. Yeah. And that through, I do that through, you know, weightlifting and being in the gym and fitness and, and just like a, an intense, an intense stubbornness to like live a life that live the way that I want to live my life that I will do. I will wake things way harder for myself, but still do them yeah. to get what, have the life I want to have. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. No, I, I feel you. I, I've, uh, uh, I think some of your struggles early on were, were the same, the, the same struggles that I had. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a shame. I mean, this is a rabbit trail too, but mm -hmm. you know, I think, uh, if you're a nine year old, um, the boy and you're hyper, um, then you're not fitting into the confines of the rigid expectations of mm -hmm. school or what teachers expect or need. And so there's a, um, that there's, there's definitely a push to, um, drug children mm -hmm. or, or to, to tamper that down. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing. You no, know? I've, yeah, I, I got tested in like eighth grade and yeah. they said, okay, he, to my, to my parents, he has ADD. 
we could we could put them on Adderall yeah. if you want. And then they asked me, and I said no. Thank God that they let they asked me, and then thank God that I, for some reason, said no. Yeah. Um, you know, and I definitely through college, basically everybody tries Adderall once. So sure. I definitely tried Adderall, and it definitely puts me in a mindset to get stuff done. Yep. But it's not it's not like a good feeling. It's more like a, I'm locked in. I'm chemically locked into doing these tasks, and it's not like creative tasks. It's like reading, writing, arithmetic. Yep. It's like I couldn't I couldn't do a podcast and have any sort of like free thought. Well, your personality kind of goes away. Yeah, and you, I was an asshole. Like I caught yeah. myself like because I was so like full of coffee and like ready for a test or a paper or something, and I was just like not a nice, not as nice of a person. Yeah, and I'm kind of an asshole normally. Yeah, well, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i mean everybody gets their different ways like adderall can be a good tool for people it's definitely some people need it but it's it's tough when they're putting it on putting it in a nine-year-old boy yeah right definitely i mean it's it's an amphetamine right it's an it's a serious it's a serious drug um when used properly it's really good so some people need that definitely but uh i've I found a lot of people a lot of people could be benefited by just like a good um Consistent exercise. Yeah, I mean, I and and you know, I I'm not here to knock that. Um, I think it, it's it's for some people. It's mm -hmm. not for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that a lot of children are being uh, being given this just for being children. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, and and so I don't think that's that that's a positive thing. But I, I realize there's certain situations where it's needed. It helps immensely, but. Uh, uh, I, I think that we need to, I don't know. I, I think we need to, to use it sparingly for children. Yeah. yeah. As an adult, so, it's, I'm kind of like, you know, do whatever you want. Yeah. Like, take whatever you want. As long as the doctor prescribes it for you. Yep. But as children, like definitely got to think about that. Yep. Totally. And I wonder, I've, I've been, you know, haven't been around schools at all in the last forever. So I wouldn't know like if they're, because we're definitely talking more about ADD a lot more about ADD, it, you know, is in the in the culture than we ever have. But I don't know if the teachers are trained any differently to say like, oh, well, little Andrew exhibits what we think might be ADD, um, so so handle him in this way, or you know, let's make sure that he gets some some more activity, like make him run around the school a couple times before he reads, or something yeah. like something like that, you know. I don't know. So, should we get into the brass tacks of the real estate market? Sure, if you want. Yeah, that's definitely something I wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, we've talked about it a little bit on your social media. We've talked about it when you and I just meet. But um, the the market is changing from the last two years of the craziness of, of COVID and low interest rates and everyone trying to get out of California and all the crazy stuff. Um, but what are some of the things going on right now that are changing the market and then like how does the how does the you've talked about what the, what is what are your sellers what should your sellers do but what, what should the buyers do what should what should we people be thinking about right now well um as you you said i mean i'll frame it just a little bit more you know um we always had a, a very active market um here because uh a little known stat for people that don't live in jackson only about six percent of land in teton county can be developed the other 94 percent is engulfed in blm national forest conservation easements or solid granite um and so <laughs> the grand the, the other six percent um 
uh, is available to be developed. And uh, then, of course, you take an extremely small supply and an immense demand to be here, to live here, to have a second home here, whatever. Um, and that really is a recipe for you know, the high prices, the high price per square foot that we see here. So, I mean, that is perpetuated for decades here, mm -hmm. um, and, and that will never change. But uh, in the last two years, once we experienced uh, COVID and that sort of first shutdown in the spring of 2020, when things first initially opened back up, at least here, um, there was basically just uh, a complete life change. Um, and, and some of the factors that played into it were people wanted to get out of the city. They wanted to get away from the draconian rules that they were experiencing in places like L.A. and San Francisco and New York. Mm -hmm. They finally realized, like, golly, like the tax environment here is terrible. Mm -hmm. The quality of life here is not what I want for my family. Mm -hmm. and, and, and here's the big one. And um, I've worked remotely for six months, and I feel like I might be working remotely for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to stay here. I want to go someplace fun. I want to go someplace where I can play or be active. So hence Jackson Hole and really all of the Rocky Mountain regions, whether it's Bozeman and Montana or Idaho or Aspen or Park City, um, all of those markets grew immensely overnight. It was one of the biggest moves of humanity in the last 100 years um, now will all those people still be there five years from now they won't um, we're already seeing a little bit of transition back out but i think that that put jackson on the map um, in a new way um, where it hadn't been discovered so because of that we saw uh, certainly the biggest real estate boom in, in my career probably in my lifetime um, and not just in the Jackson market, but every, everything. So in every market segment, um, from or for the first half of 2020 to let's say the first half of 2022, you saw in just about every market segment here, property doubled, um, maybe a little more than doubled or a little less, but roughly doubled in price. Insanity. So a 400 grand condo was 800. Now a $4 million home was now eight. Um, and so, um, what actually slowed that growth a little bit, although COVID started to abate, um, was that frankly, the reason that it started to slow even before the, the general economy did is because you have to think about it. There, there's more buyers for a $400,000 condo than there are 800,000. There's more buyers for a $4 million home than there are an $8 million home. And so at some point, um, a lot of people just began to get priced out of Jackson if they ever were in priced in. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what we've seen. What we're seeing now. Okay. So far. Yeah. Everything's good. Okay. Yeah. So what we're seeing now is like just, um, uh, the general economy is, uh, facing, uh, some major, major headwinds, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, anybody listening to this probably just if they read the newspaper once a week, you know, they see we have the highest inflation in 40 years. Mm -hmm. um, inflation uh, increases the cost of goods, whether it's bread or houses. Mm -hmm. um, and we're also um, seeing that uh, some of the demand for Jackson has lessened because the thing that drove it, COVID, has lessened. It's abated. It's no longer a concern or people have decided it's not a concern. And so um, that, that's, that's a factor that's lessening. 
another factor is that a lot of people that found that they could work remotely, and I can't tell you how many times I heard this, they're going to say, well, I've worked remotely for six months. And, you know, when my boss calls me back in a year, I'm going to just say, screw it. I moved to Jackson. What are you going to do about it? Well, some of those people got recalled back to work yeah. and, and they're back to work now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, life is starting to return to some degree to normal and that's impacting our market as well. Mm-hmm. But I would say the biggest thing right now is, is the economy and inflation and a lot of uncertainty in the market. And uh, I've never been afraid of a seller's market. I've never been afraid of a buyer's market. Um, And I'm not afraid now, but I did remember some lessons that when you're in that transition from a seller's market to a buyer or a buyer's to a seller, um, everyone for a while, whether it's six months or nine months, kind of just freezes. Mm -hmm. They don't really do anything. Mm -hmm. Sellers don't really sell. They're reluctant to go down price. Buyers don't buy because they think, well, maybe it could go down more. Like maybe I'm, I'm still buying in on the, the top end. Mm-hmm. So everybody it just kind of freezes. And then to add to that, we have uh, a friend of mine called it the, the trifecta of freeze. You've got 40-year inflation, which we've already talked about. You've got midterms, mm-hmm. which I hoped uh, whether, whether I got the result I wanted or not, uh, I've felt like we'd have some finality today and we don't. Um, but everyone has a mini freeze. They get uh, constipated, uh, mm-hmm. as, as my friend said, right before the midterms. And they, they don't do anything until that's out of the way. And then you have the holidays. So you remember your first sales job, whether you're selling widgets or houses, that last two months, you almost feel like you could take off because everybody says, eh, let's circle back in the new year when I have my new budget. So a lot of people are doing that in the holidays too. And uh, is he going to say something? Yeah. <laughs> Bridger's coming in. He's going to weigh in on the real estate market. What do you think, buddy? you like our new house? Bridger's sniffing and licking the microphone. This is why this is only my microphone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that's, uh, th- that's, what, that's where we are today. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I think things will, will loosen up. Um, in, in the new year, but I think when they do loosen up, um, I think we're going to be looking at, at at a different market, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, I, I think we're I think we're going to be looking at a different market, and and we're starting to kind of see, uh, uh, you know, a return to kind of twenty 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 one prices for a while. That's temporal, um, but then you know within a couple years we'll be racing back up inevitably so yeah totally yeah to say it's 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 just it's more of a transition in the market to to the from the the last you know two three years the sellers had all the power it was come with basically a cash offer 30 percent over or you're not even getting a conversation to even i you know and i i got a glimpse into your worlds when i would do the round tables at the office um, and you know, kind of hear about how things were going. It seemed like around the time we were putting in our offer and going through the process, it was starting to tip where in our process, we we got some say. And it seemed like the things we got say on weren't even a conversation piece six months before. You know, that, got, That's entirely correct. You, you were on the front end of that where yeah. like we were starting to see a little bit of negotiation and um, obstinacy from the sellers, less of that um, to... Um, I think somebody that that made some really big moves on price 
mm-hmm. you know, for, for you. And uh, yeah, we got we got a price yeah. drop. We got um, uh, crap. What's the what's the term for the money they gave us from the ex- inspection stuff? Um, oh, like yeah, like um, they agreed to fix some things or credit. Yeah, you the, yeah for credit, repairs. Yeah. yeah, a credit for the repairs from the ins- inspection, yeah. and then they decided they we Andrew convinced them to pay for um, special assessment. Uh, uh, roof, yeah, it? roof yeah. assessment. Yeah, that they came in saying no, the buyer has to no matter what, and it was like every time we turned around and, and Andrew said, yeah, we can definitely ask him about this thing. We we we're asking for an inch and they gave us a mile like yeah. multiple times. It seemed that, and I was like very surprised. I don't know what magic you were, what voodoo you were doing when you went and talked with them, but it, it was the first time I'd even heard Alex Merold, my, my best friend bought, um, he bought his house in the middle of 21. And it was like, they, I don't know, they offered, I think they were right on the number, but they went through the whole process in the middle of that, craziness and it was yeah. like they went through the whole thing of like if they're not 30 percent over they're not even getting a conversation yeah in minnesota in the twin cities yeah right so it was just that first time we were hearing story i was hearing stories of like oh the sellers are actually changing their mind on some things yeah you know yeah w- one of the most interesting things because we're in that in the middle of that uh transition is um you know i i talk to buyers every day and and we're the talk track there is is different. Like, what can we negotiate? What are our, our, our opportunities? And mm-hmm. then you talk with sellers and, you know, um, I, I feel like, um, most are getting it, but some are reluctant, you know, to, to, um, change their, their ideas on pricing. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they want to keep it high. And, uh, so, you know, they're still stuck a little bit in the market six months or a year ago. Um, but the most interesting one is when you talk to a client who is both a buyer and a seller at the same time, mm-hmm. they're selling their house and they're looking to move up, move down, move away and buy another house. Mm-hmm. And so on Monday you're talking to a seller and they're saying the, that offers ridiculous. Like, look at the last comps. My house is worth a million more than that, you know? <laughs> and then on Tuesday you're helping them with a purchase and they're saying, they want what? Don't they understand where the market is right now? Like, <laughs> they're a million high. So, like, that's a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, th- I think it's just, it's hard to change. You know, you can't ever time the market perfectly. Mm-hmm. As a buyer, you're always going to pay a little more than you want or you feel you should. As a seller, you're always going to feel like you left a few dollars on the table. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, even if you thought about selling last January and now you didn't do it, but you're a seller in the fall, if you bought three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, like, I think if you can look at it through a different lens, so it's not the lens of, I could have net uh, 2 million if I had sold last spring. Now I can only net one, 1.6 um, you can look at it that, that way, like, okay, well I maybe left 400 K on the table. And if I had sold a year ago, I could have gotten that and now I won't, but you could also look at it through the lens of, Hey, you bought this property four years ago. If I told you four years ago that I knew of an investment where you could make $400,000 every year for four years straight, would you be interested in that deal? 
And the answer is always hell yes. Yeah. So like, you know, you can't, you can't look back. All you can do is look forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, th- there's still, there's still opportunity to sell, um, if you're a seller and there's also opportunity if you're a buyer to buy and find deals that would not have ever been on the radar a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. There's definitely, yeah, there's definitely price improvements going on just from the listings I see you working with. Um, and I don't get to see it from, from your end, what they actually go for. But I, you know, have my price filter on for Jackson and the surrounding areas. And I get notifications and it says like, hey, this one looks like something you'd enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I see, you know, oh, price improvement on this from two to, to one eight or whatever. So there is a little bit of that. But I also am seeing the same, what I'll call 2021 pricing, a lot of these listings starting at, you know, there's a bunch in the neighborhood here that normal, normal house, you know, maybe about your house's size, a little bit, little bit some of them a little bit smaller mm-hmm. and it's like one, nine, two, two, one. Yeah. It's like, do these, they must, if, is there any negative to starting it there and just knowing like, Hey, in 30 days, 60 days, we'll drop it X. Is there any negative in starting it that high? You mean pricing it a little higher than the market and yeah, pricing and it at a number that like would be nice if somebody took it. Yeah, uh, I I would say six months ago there was absolutely no harm in that. In mm-hmm. fact, that's pretty much all we saw. If you listed a property in any neighborhood, you'd say uh, a seller would typically say, well, "What what are the relevant sales mm-hmm. uh, in the neighborhood?" Mm-hmm. All right, it's X. So uh, I want to pick the highest sale that's ever happened in the history of the world in this neighborhood, and let's go up 10%. I can always go down, right? So that that was the strategy for the last two years, and I couldn't really argue with that. Uh, The only thing that I would say is, yeah, let's try it, but in 30, 45 days, let's have a serious conversation about going down. I I think now uh, I don't recommend that strategy as much, um, and that is, is that I think because the market is deaccelerating, uh, is is a word. That's uh, a really Andrew should be a politician. That, that, He's really good <laughs> at saying things that aren't at, don't actually mean anything or mean other things. <laughs> deaccelerating. Did, you, did I, you guys have that on your bingo card? <laughs> I've I've already said a lot of undiplomatic things on this podcast, but <laughs> but but in, in a in a market that is deaccelerating, um, I think that you you don't want to be behind the market. And I've seen that, um, a lot in the last six months I've tried to coach sellers, you know, okay, well let, let's start where I want to, not where reality is. All right. Well, two months later, let's go down to real where reality was two months ago, but now the market's gone down mm-hmm. and then, okay, well I'll make an adjustment, but we should have made that adjust, you know? And so what you do is you end up just chasing the market down. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I have tried to, to coach my, my sellers on a little bit is to, um, you know, be willing to take a little bit of a haircut now so that you don't take, uh, you know, a larger buzz later. You know, I mean, if, if your plan is I could sell it now, I could sell it in four years. Well then you you probably just shouldn't sell it all. Um, but if, if for, for whatever reason, it's an investment or you're looking to take that money and invest in another thing or, you've been retired and you've always dreamed of moving to Arizona, right? Like you want to get it sold in the next six months. If that's your goal, then go ahead and get ahead of the market a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it, it, it appears attractive, um, rather than continuing to just chase the, the market down. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, uh, you know, even when you do that right now, like, like I said, uh, there's a lot of buyers that are kind of in a freeze mode. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, if you wait until the spring, we're going to be looking at a different market. So if you can make some small improvements right now to get it done, I think you're going to be rewarded in the long run. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well said. Um, you don't, uh, or we don't often talk to the first time home buyer in your, uh, in your marketing stuff. Cause often your clients are second, third, fourth, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but if you could speak to specifically in Jackson, speak to, and you're, I already know this stuff cause you've told me this mm -hmm. because this was me, but speak to, speak to Tyler in July or Tyler in June, the, the person who's thinks they're ready to do it or maybe not doesn't even know they're ready to do it. I didn't, I didn't really know I was ready to buy a house in Jackson until basically like, you know, post offer accepted. Yeah. You know, you, you know, talk, th talk to that person who probably has their ducks in a row financially. Well, I, I, I mean, this is what I'm talking about right now is like extremely relevant for right now, November, 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of buyers are, they're saying, okay, financially, like I've got good income. I've mm -hmm. got good credit. I could mm -hmm. qualify for a loan. Mm -hmm. um, I'm now looking at condos or houses that I couldn't afford six months or a year ago, either because of the price or my financial position or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, now they're in my zone or they're almost in my zone. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, the next thing is, look at freaking rates. Mm -hmm. Like I could have gotten a 3.8 rate in January mm -hmm. and now it's 7.8, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so that's causing a lot of heartburn because prices are, are coming down, but then they're sort of in this Bermuda triangle, right? Like lower prices, but much higher rates. Mm -hmm. And, and the price reduction tip typically will not counteract a high rate. So like, what do you do? Um, especially I would make that point, especially not in Jackson. Like our, uh, yes, we, we are having price improvements, but it's not, the bottom's not going to fall out on the Jackson no. real estate market. I mean, the, the, you know, certainly there are cheaper homes, but the average sales price of a single family home in Teton County right now is over $4 million. Yeah. The median's in the high threes, I believe still. Mm -hmm. So, um, to get your foot in the door with a condo here, you're still looking at about a million dollar proposition. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that means even if you have 20% down, which is quite a lot for a first time home buyer, like you're looking at a eight, $900,000 loan. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not nothing. And if you look at an $800,000 loan at 4% versus 8%, like there is a significant, uh, mm -hmm. amount of, of monthly there. So what do you do? Um, I think part of it is, uh, this is the time now where you go in and you start lobbying some offers and seeing just how motivated sellers are. Mm -hmm. So, however much I can help negotiate the price down is going to be a, a big benefit to you. Mm -hmm. The second thing though, is that there's a way right now where you can still have your cake and eat it. Um, and that is if you're, if the rates you're looking at right now are, let's say seven and a half percent, I can still get you, um, maybe a five and a half to five and three quarter rate. I can do that a number of ways. One of the ways, um, is, um, uh, you can have the seller, uh, I'll give you a couple like golden, golden nuggets here. You can have the seller Get your notebooks out folks <laughs> who, who is motivated to sell, buy down your rate. 
They mm-hmm. call it points. So you could go to a seller and you could say, hey, I'm at seven and a half for me to buy this. I need to be at five and a half. I need to buy down my rate two points. You can go to a sell- motivated seller and I can negotiate in some cases to have them give you a credit at closing to buy down your rate. And, mm-hmm. and I just want to tell you that them paying twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a point, fifty, sixty grand credit at closing is way more important to you as a buyer than getting sixty thousand dollars off the purchase price. Because if you're looking at a thirty year loan over time, like the amount of money that that saves you is insane. Mm-hmm. The second thing is ask yourself the question: How many people do you know right now? that have been in their mortgage for 30 years or more without ever selling, without ever moving up, trading properties, relocating, or refinancing. How many people, other than maybe your grandpa, you know, who bought their house in 1950 or something, but how many people in this era do you know that are in a, you know, in a mortgage for that long? So there are some great options where you can do a seven or a 10-year arm Mm-hmm. Um, where you can get one and three quarters, two points down below uh, current rates. And, you know, in 10 years time, you're especially if you're buying your first home, you're probably relocating, buying up, refinancing, doing something in that period um, uh, where you don't need 30 years. So I think that's another one. There's also some programs I'll just mention really briefly where uh, you can do, they call it like a three, two, one or something like that. So if, if rates are right now at seven and a half percent, uh, the first year they'll give it to you for three points under four and a half. Next year you go up a point, but it's five and a half. And then the next year you go up a point, but it's six and a half. So if you feel like your financial position is going to change, um, in the next few years, uh, or you can refinance, or you're going to only need the house for a couple years anyway before you move to something else, then that's a great way to get your foot in the door right now to take advantage of uh, the lower prices mm-hmm. and still not get creamed on the interest rates. Mm-hmm. Aren't, um, I, I know, or I would I would guess that a lot of people are a little bit afraid of uh, adjustable rate mortgages. Is that, have they changed um, the way they adjust or um, the safeness of those? Because isn't, wasn't that a big thing in like 08 where like people would get in these, you know, if you've seen the movie, The Big the big Short, yeah, like that, that uh, exotic dancer or whatever, where yeah. she had like four houses yeah. and she made like no money and they're all adjustable, but the rates were tiny when she got them. Yeah. It's, has that changed at all? You see less of that. I mean, by the way, the, everything that I'm mentioning right now, uh, well, uh, the first product that I'm mentioning is, is a locked in rate for 10 years. So it mm-hmm. doesn't adjust. Mm-hmm. Other things adjust, you know, two or three times over a period of two or three years, but you kind of know what you're working with. I think the the big problem with many of those adjustable rate, and you don't see, see those like you did um, back in 2007 is that, um, many of these loans were no doc loans. Yeah. They were not vetting the borrowers at all. Um, and so it was just a free flow of money and loans. And, uh, it was, uh, the big short is a good one. The, Mm -hmm. the other great movie, um, have you seen margin call? Uh, Jeremy Irons and Kevin Spacey. Yes, that's, so a that, that's, a, that's on Netflix. I was like, "What is it?" I love like those businessy movies. Yeah, 
out of nowhere I watched it. Yeah, that's a good one. You have to look it up. And, you know, they made that movie during the recession for like uh, something r- ridiculous, like 150 grand. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, there's like two uh, sets. Yeah. Like there's like the board, the, the big off or the big floor with all the callers, the a boardroom and like one office. Yeah. That's all they do it in one building. Yeah. And it's intense. I mean, I rem- I wasn't in finance at the time, but yeah. I, I remember those days in 08 where they just were falling like dominoes countrywide and Bear yeah. Stearns and yeah. Lehman Brothers. And yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy times. Yeah, they definitely. Yeah. Like that's that's the whole story of that. That scene with um, the two mortgage guys in the big short where they ask him like okay like what do you how do you verify their income how do you do this or that and they're like we don't do anything we just give it to them and then by they say we give it to them on, we write it on friday by monday lunch it's been sold to one of the big banks yeah right and uh like they just don't do anything and my process i think eric and jonathan know more about my finances than i do the amount of like stuff they looked into and they're like hey what's this thing when you were yeah. 12 on your you got a credit hit when you were oh, 12 yeah. what's that and i'm like they'll know your underwear size uh, yeah before i'm it's like all over what them. are you talking about man yeah. <laughs> and i'm like i'm like how do you how did i gave you only statements and documents how do you figure, how do you figure that out you know so they do they just do such an in-depth process to verify all that stuff and even after we had okay we're, we got the income, we got all the bank information, we got, you know, your reserves, <laughs> down payment plus reserves is all good. Mm-hmm. Jonathan was saying like, okay, now I got to go convince this underwriter still. And I'm like, what do you mean convince? You know, yeah. like somebody's somebody's looking at, I, I'm grateful to have a good credit score. Somebody's looking at my credit score, my income and all that stuff and saying, well, and, and also looking at a, it's in Jackson Hole, like one of the best you know, real estate markets in the country and saying, well, I'm not, sh- I'm not so sure yet. It's, it's incredible the amount of detail that they go into yeah. and how hard those guys worked. Shout out to those guys. They, there was one little hiccup close to the end and there was not any sense of like, oh shit, we're, we're fucked. It was okay. This is a thing, but, but let's do this. It was immediately, here's our action plan and Tyler do it now. Yeah. And that was great for me because not it was my first time. It was, I'm real, I'm good with, I'm very coachable. I'm good with do this now. Yeah. I played football. Yeah. So that was good. And it was like, did it. Okay. And we're good. And got all the stuff figured out. But it, it's amazing. The nuance of things that yeah. like, uh, I remember when I was getting my home loan, uh, I, I don't know why we did this, but I, I think for Christmas, Crystal wanted a treadmill and we, said oh like nordic track is doing financing for this twenty five hundred dollar treadmill and so we can basically just we'll get financing through them and pay it over a one-year period or some some silly thing and that ended up uh hurting our credit so much (laughs) this little two thousand dollar nordic track treadmill loan you know and so uh you know eric the the lender basically said hey you need to pay that off like that's really like running your credit score down i'm thinking what what in the world this is such a small thing so then i paid it off the next day and i emailed eric and i said hey i paid off the treadmill and uh, i closed the account and he said you did what you closed (laughs) the account and i was like yeah well it's paid off why wouldn't i was like no 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 you always pay stuff off and then you leave the account open yeah 
And so then that hurt my credit. You know? Yeah. And so it's just all these tiny little nuanced things that really go into your credit score and your debt to income ratio and all that stuff mm-hmm. that, that makes them, but you know, um, and then you always have, you know, the, the, the classic is, uh, you know, a buyer that lets you know the week before closing that they, they bought a ski boat <laughs> yeah. or a, a new car or yeah. something like that. And yeah. it just it, like it fundamentally changes their whole like yeah. borrowing picture. You yeah. Know, you have to well, start from sitting, scratch. I mean, they're probably sitting on a big hunk of cash and like, oh, I mean, I could buy, you know, this thing and yeah. it's only some percentage of what I'm going to use for the down payment. I'm good. It's like, don't do, Jonathan anything. told me like, don't do anything outside yeah. of groceries and toilet paper exactly until we get this finalized <laughs> and i was like yes sir and yeah totally i had a similar thing with my credit where i crashed on my mountain bike and got a concussion and went into st john's to get some care for it just get checked out and cleaned up and i don't know the, the bill was like 70 bucks and who knows where they mailed something if they mailed it or whatever yeah. taylor works there i'm in town been in town would have paid the 70 bucks but I go to buy my truck and they're like, oh, you're, you have this hit on your credit report. You had unpaid thing of $70 to St. John's. I'm like, for fucking what? Yeah. And then I go to the collections agency and talk to them about it and pay it and whatever. And they get it taken off or not even that paid it, bought the truck, whatever. Um, and then we get to the point where Jonathan's setting up, up my mortgage and it's still on my report as a negative hit, even though it, it was paid off immediately. And I had to go call the collections agency and have them send a letter saying that it's been taken off your report and then wait like 30 days for the um, credit. Uh, where do we get our credit scores from? Oh, like Equifax. The bu- bureaus. Yeah. That's the word. The, the bureaus to get updated. And then like one of them got updated, but the others did it. And then eventually like... 45 days later, it was eventually taken off and we were all like, oh, thank God it went way up. Yeah. But it's so frustrating. Credit, I've, I've, in my old age, I've been dubbing things crocs of shit. The credit system is sometimes a crock of shit. Yeah. Where it's like, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you close it out, whatever. I, you know, you see on TikTok too, like, if you have a collections thing, don't pay it off. Make them delete it. Yeah. Because then it'll, then it'll help well, you more. And, and I... Um always encourage people like if you know you're three months or six months out like if you if you're saying to me Andrew I think we're going to be in a position next summer to buy a house then um I I implore you like go go ahead now and talk to a lender and sort of get an idea like broad brushstrokes framework of like what you can borrow and of course at that time they're going to do a deep dive on your credit report and so if you have silly things like that uh, on there if we have six months to prepare for this there are a lot of things over a six-month period they can do to help you boost your credit score Mm -hmm. so the little things that they did for you at the end just to get it over the line or whatever where you need it to be for the best rate whatever um, if they have six a six-month runway they can help you do a lot of things, um, whether it's paying things off. Uh, there, you know, it, if you have five pieces of debt, you don't necessarily just pay all five of them at the same time in equal share. There's mm-hmm. certain debt that's heavier than others, so you want to get that off the books. If you have these silly little 
bills from 20 years ago, you can clear that off and then give yourself enough time for your your credit score to increase. So it's good to plan ahead. Yeah, they're very consultative in the process. It's not just, it's not like a, a bank teller or something where it's like, okay, here's your account. Yeah. whatever it's like okay here here's how we do this here's how we look at this you know they're very consultative because they want to get it done too right like that's part of their job yep but yeah so yeah our guy my guys are great awesome um let's see what else about uh what else about real estate should we talk about should we talk let's talk about trg you're wearing the hat oh yeah trg teton ranch and recreation group new um a new group kind of within Engel and Volkers. It, yeah. It's made up of five, four. How many of you? Four. Four. Some of the more experienced members of the team. Yeah. And this uh, new hat I'm wearing, it's the prototype. We're going to take some of this junk off the sides and oh, we're nice. going to sew this in a little bit more. But nice. Um, Looks good. Yeah. TRRG, um, which stands for Teton Ranch and Rec or Recreational Property Group. Um, is something that um, we probably spent about two years working on and kind of uh, planning out before we ever launched it. Um, and what <clears throat> what we found, and <clears throat> excuse me, you've talked to Jim Hickey, you've had him on, so that was before TRG, though. Yeah, you've you've learned a little bit about sort of his lifestyle, but you know, a, a ranch real estate broker is fundamentally different than your average real estate agent, you know, in a town. Um, both, um, both do a lot of the, the same things, but they also do different things. You know, if somebody's buying a ranch, it's an, a very different process um, in finding a ranch, finding out what a, a buyer is after, um, doing the due diligence both before and once you go under a contract, you're looking at things like water rights and mineral rights and uh, hunting rights, uh, hunting rights. And, and, you know, um, so much of the value in a property like that is locked into how you can use it. And uh, if you purchase a property like that with an idea of how you can use it and you can't use it, then like that investment you know, at least in their eyes is almost worthless. Right. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of different things that go into that. And I find that, um, there's not many real estate agents, at least in this market that sell both the, the Rafter J single family home and the 8,000 acre ranch in Sheridan, Wyoming, you know, because they're really two very different skill sets. So anyway, to get to TRRG, we felt like um, the average ranch broker is kind of the solitary life. It's just like a man in his pickup truck, and he drives all over the Rocky Mountain West showing property. Um, and, you know, there, there, you don't see a lot of ranch expert brokers that operate within a team. And... Uh, we, we really wanted to bring a team mentality to uh, ranch sales where we had an expert um, in different facets of uh, ranch sales. So Joe Gathercole is our expert. She's an equestrian. She knows everything. She's forgotten more about horses than you and I will ever know, right? 
um, and Jim <laughs> is a sportsman. You know, yeah. he he basically traveled the world guiding fly fishing trips for twenty plus years. You know, so hunting and fishing is his expertise. And Pup knows a lot about guest ranches and cattle ranches. Um, so having um, people not only with an expertise on ranch sales, but then even within ranch sales, an expertise on particular areas of ranching and ranch property and sporting property, um, we feel like what was really important. And then by having <clears throat> it as a group, we're always available for the client. We're always available to show property. We collaborate and usually co-list on a lot of these properties. So, um, you know, that's helpful. And then we're able to pull our resources together um, for some world-class marketing and able to pull our resources together for what's he up to he's is he just bored. getting bored i think he's getting bored <laughs> he may need to just like go to the bathroom but he's fine because he went out right before you got here he's mostly just bored <laughs> you're bored bridgers really wanted to be a part of this interview yeah that's awesome yeah i find um, before I, you know, got into any, th any sort of real estate stuff, I always got kind of confused when you'd see these different offices, you know, they'd make this, uh, the so-and-so team, you know, the, the Jim Hickey team or the Hickey team. Like I never understood like the value of that until I got to know your office a little bit more. And, uh, and this one definitely makes sense because especially out here in the West, there's, <laughs> you name some of the examples of water rights, hunting rights, all the things, but there's, could be multiple buyers, could be Bridger. Come on, buddy. But there, yeah, and uh, uh, working with different government agencies, all the different things yeah. that you, people on here definitely heard Jim talk about is, uh, it, it, you're right, it's not just the person that can sell you a townhome, townhome in, yeah. in Raptor J or in Jackson or, you know, somewhere, you know, the person, my friends that are agents in Minneapolis probably couldn't figure out a ranch sale here, right? It's just like, it's kind of, it's tough for the, the, the uh the average joe to understand the difference because it, it's or for me at least it was just it's kind of just all real estate like why isn't it all just the same yeah but there's a lot of different categories and like what the person wants to do what the buyer is multiple buyers maybe it's or maybe it's kind of like a gifting or maybe it's a guest ranch like a working you know is it a, a working dude ranch with like actual cattle and horses yeah. or is it a place where people will, will it's, where it's his own business and people will come to stay there like probably a lot of nuance in that yeah well, I, I think one of the, the values of sort of a seasoned ranch broker is how long they've been in the business, how many ranches they've sold, like, you know, uh, but also it's sort of their network, you know. And so, you know, a lot of times you're often going with some, some, some guy that's been in the business for 30 or 40 years that knows just about everybody that's done so many ranch deals. And you're finding, because it's sometimes a hard-to-sell or hard-to-find property, you're entrusting that person not just to show up and show the property, but you're entrusting that person and their network mm -hmm. to find you a buyer or to find you a property if you're a buyer that's off-market. Mm -hmm. Well, it, you know, I find that one person like that, that's just one person, a wolf pack of one, you know, um, they're trying to do it all. They're, they're on the road six days a week, and they're trying to write offers, you know, from a motel room, showing property. They're, they're pulled a, a thousand different directions, and they're only really an expert at a certain few aspects 
of that. And so we were bound and determined that we were going to be a team, not just a name only, not just because we took pictures together, but we were actually going to do something original here and collaborate with one another. Like let's put four or five of our networks together. Let's bring four or five expert brokers expertise together. Let's co-list the property. Like let's really bring the whole team aspect to ranch sales. And frankly, uh, I don't feel like anybody has effectively done that in our market. Um, and so uh, I, I'm really excited about it, you know, um, and, and some of the marketing, you know, we, we brought on somebody pretty much full time just to run marketing and social media. And um, we've collaborated with you on some of these projects. It's been great. So, um, you know, if you're if you're just a lone guy or a gal selling real estate, like you don't have time to, to do all aspects of that. Yeah. You're really. um uh, anyway, sorry, I had a brain freeze, but, but you're not, you're, you're not doing all aspects of that. You're, you're and and I think that the team approach to this, um, is probably more important in ranch and rec sales than in any other aspect of real estate. Mm -hmm. Totally. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, we're at, what are we at? We're an hour and 32 minutes in. Should we keep wow. going or should we wind it down? Um, I don't know. I, if there's any other hot button topics, uh, mm -hmm. I'm happy to, to spend a few extra minutes, but this has been a blast. Yeah. It's been good. I think the new setup's working out. The lighting works good. Yeah. It's been comfortable and we've been kind of fidgeting cause we're on, we're on, a, if you're just listening, we're on a couch instead of like on the desk setup, like I previously had it. Yeah. So maybe we can need to adjust that a little well, bit. I actually had an idea for you. Have you ever been to Chicago? Uh, like for a work trip, I was in yeah. hotel. Have you ever time. been to uh, Gino's, Gino's East, pizza, no. deep dish pizza? No. Well, basically everybody that comes in there signs their name on the wall. And then so Ooh, after yeah. 50 years, you have name on top of name on top of name in a 4,000 square foot. And then it just becomes like graffiti. It almost becomes yeah. irrecognizable. But uh, I think it would be cool in your space is that everybody who comes to the podcast gets mm -hmm. to sign their name on the wall yeah and then once you become famous as a podcaster and once your guests become famous it'll be like the podcast house yeah you know that'll be cool yeah, just should think I, about should it I do it like on the walls now before we paint them or after we paint them you could or you could but just put up faux walls that you know you can take down and put in your next podcast studio yeah it'd be kind of cool would that up the value if there's a bunch of signatures on the wall when I when I sell this? Well, it just depends on how famous you get. <laughs> you know, if you're still an <laughs> obscure podcaster, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've had I've had a couple what I'll call like def one legit famous guy, a couple semi-famous. Um, Ian Munzig is my biggest guest. Guest, you know him? He's a country singer from mm -hmm. Sheridan. Um, mm -hmm. Lives in Nashville now, but he's like he, he sings about like Wyoming and the mountains all the time. He's incredible. Um, but he's one of my favorite country artists and I just messaged him one day and I was like, Hey, you want to, I live in Jackson. I do a podcast about people in mountain towns. You want to come on and chat? And he said, yeah. Wow. I was like, I was, I was, was he in person or did he, zoom he out? lives, he was in Nashville. So we, oh. we did it over zoom, oh. but it was incredible. Like just like I was listening to this guy's music cause he's just my, uh, my, one of my favorite artists. And now I'm talking to him. This is insanity. That's great. Yeah. And then, uh, my sister's boyfriend mikey anderson is on the on the la kings 
uh, hockey team. And uh, so he's what I would call the semi-famous. He's not, he's, uh, he's not like, he's, he's, it's his, he's in his second year in the league, I think, or third, but, you know, young guy. So he's not super well-known yet, but he's on the Kings. So that's a big deal. That's a big deal. He got some big, um, they played the Oilers in the playoffs last year and he had a situation where he was like in a, scu- in a scuff with um, one of their star players and the star player kind of got injured from it. And like, he was getting like death threats from like Oilers fans. It was insane. And he said, I was texting him after the, one of the games that they like lost to lose the 10th the season. And he was saying these people were just like calling out death threats in the hotel room, in the hotel lobby. Like they had to be like escorted to like a special place for them to hang out. Unreal. It's crazy. So I mean like, Edmonton, Edmonton in uh, what would that be like May or April? Probably not a lot else going on. Yeah, wow, that's a good idea though. Signatures in the podcast yeah. studio. I mean, I think this will be your studio for the next few years. You know, so you could even put up like a wall that you can remove and put in your studio later. But like, yeah, have everybody sign when they get to be like in the inner sanctum for yeah. a podcast. I like that. I like that idea a lot. I need to, I, yeah. I'll go back and get other signatures of people that I can access still. Or you could. Uh, I'm just like I can't believe I'm still talking on a podcast and spitting out these stupid ideas. But you could, uh, you know, I went to a restaurant, the old, the original, old Yellowstone Garage, and so anybody that uh, went there, they would get a picture taken with the owner wearing this funny hat, you mm-hmm. know. And so you could basically put pictures of all your podcast guests, you know, all all along the. Uh, just depends on how big this grows, I guess. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a tough time. It's been, as far as just like listeners go, it's been pretty good. And then like my fun and having, that's all I look at is like, am I having fun? Am I providing value? Especially now that I'm doing a lot of like client stuff in it. Um, But the hardest thing is since it's kind of like number three on my quote unquote work kind of activity list, it's so hard to schedule stuff, schedule people like it's i would need i would need like and to produce all the content and edit all the stuff i would need like my own young jamie from joe rogan to like do all that stuff if i was going to be like okay full on like we're doing this we're yeah producing a lot of content we're trying to get a lot of guests because it's like i've I've done less episodes now because i've been so much busier in my regular job and in and with the marketing agency yeah you know so it's kind of it's 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 a bummer because i really enjoy doing these but it kind of falls off yeah but I think this is episode, what number episode? In the 60s? We're getting up there. My goal when I started it was to get to 100 and then kind of reevaluate. 66. Is what, uh, I'm number 66? Yeah, that's what this is. Nice. Yeah, Jim was 64. Ian Munsick was 61. Yeah. Definitely. Well, man, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, um, for sure. And I'll just give you a shout out for those listening. Um, we've used uh, Merrill and Meany, uh here for the last six months or so um, for our social media. And it's been like a huge help to us yeah. just as far as creativity, as far as content, as far as when to post and how to post and what to post. Um, and I really enjoy all that. Like if I actually had the time to do it, uh, all the time, I probably, it's something that I could get into, but it's, uh, just one of many things on my list to do. And so, Mm -hmm. 
when it's off season, like now I kind of get into it a little bit more. And then when it's busy season, even though I love it, like it's, uh, it just kind of falls to the bottom. Mm -hmm. So you guys have been able to like really keep us consistent and just sort of pumping out interesting content, um, about our organ, you know, about our company, about our group, about me a little bit. Um, and so, uh, anyway, I really appreciate your great work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for being our client. It's, you're uh, starting with you guys when we were doing, we were doing the roundtables, did the the talking at the at the meeting. It uh, it was kind of a new a new era, or if you will, in the in the life of the agency. In that we got to do more strategic stuff. It wasn't as much. A lot of clients in the past, I was doing so much um, editing, you know, content creation, the real yeah. like the stuff that Justin does more of, and and he loves that stuff. But I don't love it as much as I love um, the strategy behind it the consulting stuff is like my favorite thing I've ever done with the agency is like when we were doing yeah. those round tables, it got a little bit, that got a little bit into the weeds of like platform stuff. But when I get to be strategic and think and work, you know, lean on my knowledge of the algorithm and the platforms and how content works and then also learning your business and then how that fits into all those other things. Yeah. That's like why we started the, that business. Yeah. To get to do that stuff. And I mean, it's, it's, it's similar, but it's different, right? Like you're, one of your clients is still West, right? Still works. Or still works. Still, still works. works. You know, makes spirits, and um, you know, obviously, their goal is to increase sales, and my goal is brand awareness and things like that. But you know, it's a little bit different based on the industry mm -hmm. and who you're marketing to, and when you're marketing, and what your content is. So, um, anyway, it's been it's been really interesting having you on. Yeah. It's been great, oh, and you've boy. definitely you and and Jim and everyone at Anglo Volker has smoothed over some scar tissue we had from a previous real estate client that did went really poorly. That shall not be named. Shall not be named. Okay. I'm not going to name the brand. Not not going to name the man. Um, but it was it was not a good arrangement, and so we were kind of wary when we when yeah. Jim started talking to us about it and whatever. We were like, okay, do we want to get into real estate? And I told Al, if this is something we want to do long term, and I'm going to be in Jackson this is one of the markets we need to get into for sure in Jackson yep. and being with a great group like you guys, you guys are growing to hitch our wagon to you guys. Like we can, you know, you can take us to the moon. We can, yeah. you just, I could go get all your, all your agents and do all their marketing. But. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's good. I mean, it all started with uh, you and I met at some little networking thing and then mm -hmm. uh, we had you speak at our meeting. And then a couple months after that, we had you doing workshops with what five or six of our agents. Mm -hmm. They were all just paying a little bit. Mm -hmm. to do a workshop with you an hour a week mm -hmm. um, where they were mainly doing their own stuff. You were just giving them some ideas or showing them some shortcuts or mm -hmm. workarounds. Mm -hmm. And then from there, uh, a few of us actually took you on to kind of manage our whole campaign. So mm -hmm. it's been great. Yeah. But uh, thank you. And thanks for uh, letting me be a, a part of the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Another guest, another episode. Um, I'll do, uh, let's see. Everyone out there, follow um, at the whole broker. That's Andrew's kind of um, more real estate focused account. He has his personal account, which is uh, AT Ellet. Yeah. This is more personal, more kids. A little bit of, we're going to do a little bit of real estate stuff, a little bit of collaborative posts between the two, just so both audiences see it. Um, go check out EV Jackson Hole. Yep. Um, EV Star Valley. Uh, yeah, we, we have, um, 
uh, Engel and Volkers, you know, and probably should have talked about the brand a tiny bit, but we'll save that for another <laughs> podcast. Um, but yeah, we 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 have locations in Jackson Hole, and then also in Star Valley, Wyoming, forty five minutes south of Jackson, mm-hmm. and then also a new office we opened in Sublette County uh, this summer in the Pinedale Big Piney area, um, mm-hmm. and we actually service. Uh, uh, Wyoming and Idaho, Teton Valley, Idaho. So, um, if you're anywhere within a hundred or more miles of Jackson Hole, we we sell real estate there, and we we'd love to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a good point. And not even necessarily if it's outside of your range, you have connections to all the other offices. England Volker has how many offices in America? We have about two hundred and sixty, almost two hundred and seventy offices in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, but we're also, you know, we, we were in Europe for nearly 40 years before we came to the Americas. So mm-hmm. uh, we're in 34 countries, um, four continents. And, uh, you know, we, I, one of the coolest things about our business, I often call it the, the biggest little real estate company in the world. Because <laughs> when you go to England Volkers, it's, it's, you know, a smaller boutique uh, brand, um, just like Tiffany's or, or something else, mm-hmm. you know, that you go to. Um, but on the other hand, like we have a global reach and an incredible network. So, you know, you go to another brand and they, you know, you're buying a property in Dallas. Yeah, sure. Like, uh, Sotheby's or some other brand, they've got probably four or five offices in Dallas, but I doubt that most people in Jackson Hole would be on a first name basis with people in that shop. I doubt that people would know in that shop, it's not just that you're in Dallas, but you specialize in different areas of Dallas. Are you in Friendswood? Are you in Flower Mound? Are you in South Lake? Are you in... So, you ranchers out in Dallas. Right. And so then how can I pair you, not only with a broker and I keep, you know, in Dallas or Houston, but somebody that specializes only in the area that you're looking at that's a specialist there. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the, the things about the brand that I love is that we're, we have such a close network uh, of brokers and, um, and, and I'm aware of a lot of those markets and can help direct clients if they're buying or selling a property mm-hmm. outside of Jackson area. Yeah, and even if I've noticed this on the social media side, if, if, uh, even if there's offices that you say you don't have a great personal connection with or don't have one yet, they're super um, open to like collaborating on listings for postings or like customers back and forth. Like it's everyone's, even if you don't know each other yet, they're very different offices are very open to just like chatting and, and dialogue between the different offices. Yeah. Cause they all know, like, I think it's a good view of like what you said of the biggest little real estate brokerage is all the, all the offices or many of the offices are just little shops in their market, but then there's a ton of them. Yes. So it's super cool, super hands-on, great personal touch from everybody that I've met at Engel and Volkers. So yeah, I mean our our mantra in Engel and Volkers is, uh, um, you know, luxury is not a price point; it's a service mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a condo or a castle. You know, like where you're going to get the same level of service with us. Um, in most cases, almost the same level of marketing and and high touch. Um, customer service that, that you would get, um, no matter what you're selling. So if you haven't experienced the England Volkers difference, I, I certainly would invite you to. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely will, I, I, I'll definitely add to that. Uh, when, when I first told Jim 
hey, I'm okay, I'm looking, I'm serious now. Connect me with somebody who can be my my buyer's agent. He was like, all right, one second, I'll, I'm going to talk to Andrew and we'll see who we should do. And I was thinking like Hayden or one of the younger folks at the office. And then he calls back and says, oh yeah, um, Andrew and I are going to handle it for you. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> the boss <laughs> and then you, Jim, a very experienced, uh, more ranch and rec focused yeah. guy. All right. Is that worth your time? It was great. Jim and I collaborate on a lot of a lot of properties together and uh yeah. we're just we're a great team, love working with, mm-hmm. with each other. So But to speak that 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 yeah. luxury touch, like I was probably one of the smaller transactions you've done this year, but like had all the attention I could call you out of the blue and you'd answer or say call you right back. Yep. I never felt like I never felt like I was just another one of your another one of your commission checks or something like that. Yeah. I always felt like, and we have a deeper connection because I'm your client and you're my client and sure. Jim's also my client. So there's a little bit deep, deeper level than that, but um, yeah, everything was great. Everything was very hands-on and it was wonderful. Good. Well, uh, I'm humbled and honored to be a part of this whole process. You and Taylor buying your first place. And so yeah. it's been really special and it's special to be here today and see all the improvements and do the podcast. So, Yeah. I don't know if everyone saw the vision, but Taylor saw the vision. You saw the vision of what this place could be. I obviously saw the vision, but yeah, it's going good. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, that's everything. Uh, yeah. Follow the whole broker, like all the content, watch the videos a million times. That helps me out. Um, follow at Teton. Is it at Teton RRG? RRG, yeah. Yep. Teton Ranch that's, and Rec Group. And the whole broker is H-O-L-E, the H-O-L-E yeah, like broker. Jackson so Hole. Jackson, Jackson Hole. Hole broker. Play on words, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we're savvy like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andrew's savvy like that. He started it. Um, yeah, that's everything. That's an episode. Everyone, thanks for listening.